Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Mental Health Check-In with Leek. Today, I have a very special guest, um, Danny Roberts from the real world New Orleans and recently the real world homecoming New Orleans. How are you doing, my brother? Hello, Leek, and thank you for having me. I got to say you were, you have been tenacious in reaching out to me and um I, I uh, am honored that you were and happy we're making this happen. Nature's been working against us. I know. I know that you had that snowstorm up in, you know, where you at. <laughs> I am uh, freed from the snowstorms, snowpocalypse in Vermont. <laughs> I like that word. I like that word. So... Let's get right into this podcast. I'm going to ask you this first question. I ask all my guests this question. And I'm going to ask you, my brother, how is your mental health? My mental health is actually great at the moment. <clears throat> you know, it's a journey. And every day is a different journey. But in general, I'm, I'm actually doing really great. Um, and I'm very grateful uh, to, to have reached this point. That's so good. I like to ask that question because I feel like, you know, I could be struggling and then he could be like, hey, Leek, how are you? And I could just be like, I'm okay. And just keep it moving. But when you ask somebody, how's your mental health? It digs deeper and you know, opens doors to conversations. And, you know, if somebody's really not okay, they can open up and say that. And um, one of my favorite questions to ask, you know, I got it on the t-shirt is one of my favorite questions to ask. <laughs> I did happen to know that's one of your questions, and I, I may have listened to your podcast a little bit. Oh. And, um, yes, I did know that. Um, and what it's episode, something to talk about. What episode did you listen to? Are you? Um, I listened to a couple of episodes. Very thank you. Particularly, I listened to all of the one that you uh, recommended to me first. Oh. Yeah. But you know. I listened to a few before before I agreed to, to do this. I don't know what I'm getting myself into always. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the support. And my next question- Melissa would say you don't have to get prepared if you stay prepared. Listen, always be ready so you'll never get ready. I know that's right, bro. Um, my next question for you is, um, growing up, was it okay not to be okay for you? Um. Oh, absolutely. And to back up a bit, <clears throat> Not to assume that uh, anyone that, that's listening right now knows the shows that you mentioned earlier and where I came from. Um, I was on one of the earlier seasons uh, of Real World, which was huge back in the 90s and early 2000s, particularly the 90s. Um, I was in the, the last season of the 90s, actually, which was the first New Orleans. And yes, uh, we recently, in the past year, went back and did a reunion um, filmed for a few weeks together, hadn't seen or spoke to each other since back in the day, the seven of us. Um, so that was a really amazing experience. Um, and it was, it, it was done by Paramount Plus um, and what was streaming on Paramount Plus, but apparently as of recently, it is now on Amazon, which was a huge surprise to me. 
<laughs> did you, did you find when did you find that out? Did I tell you that? Or you yeah? told me that. <laughs> yeah. I found it out for you. Um <sighs> the way this world works. Um, so yeah, back to your question then is you know, if if you do know the show and you happen to especially see my seen my original season, you know a lot about my story and where I came from. I'm I'm from rural North Georgia. We're talking, you know. Appalachia. So it was very culturally, religiously not okay to be out. Uh, was not a concept at the time growing up there. You know, I grew up there through the 80s and 90s. So very different time in general, pre-internet. Um, and a lot of that hasn't changed today. As, as, as much as things have changed, a lot of these things still have not changed. Uh, to, to to get this, this is what I like to share that, that gives most of us just a, a solid footing on the culture and the place where I'm from. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is is uh, the rep from my district. So that kind of gives you a window into the mindset there. Still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I need need I say more. <laughs> yes, it's very not okay. It's uh, very homophobic, violent towards gay, you know, a lot of violence toward gays, especially from uh, you know, the younger kids that I was growing up around, um, very embedded, you know, the culture is, it's very difficult, if impossible, to separate the culture there from evangelicalism, particularly Southern Baptist strain of it, and brand, as, as I like to recall it. Uh, and, you know, it is still very much that way today. It is, uh, there's a lot of covert, uh, anti anti uh, LGBT energy there, especially today. I think it was much more overt as I was growing up, and now it's gone underground and it's very covert. Yeah. Um, my next question for you, right? You know, there's a stigma, right, surrounding mental health, right? But let's dig deeper. There's a stigma surrounding mental health, but it's also stigma surrounding men's mental health. But I feel like it's an extra stigma when you're a gay man and mental health. Like, what do you say to that stigma, you know, about, you know, men or just gay men? You know, we can't be weak. We can't cry. We can't have emotions. We have to man up. You know, we have to get over, you know, get over what we're going through and just deal with it. Like, what do you say to that stigma? Um, yeah, it's all very true, uh, particularly in our culture. <clears throat> I, on one hand, I think there is a lot to be said about you know, striving for fortitude. Um, but in those elements of what you just described, um, you know, it's a lot of when, when people talk about toxic male culture, this is what actually what they're talking about. It is the inability to access emotions, to manage emotions, um, particularly people who come from traumatized backgrounds. Yeah. Um, and it's all nonsense because at the end of the day, we're actually all humans. <laughs> And we are uh, all emotionally driven beings. And for us to be our highest selves, that does not come from repressing, suppressing, denying your emotional states. It also doesn't come from allowing our emotional states to rule us, um, but equally does not come from denying that the emotional states exist. Um, it is, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a low level of being that comes from that. Um, and it is it is very much what people talk about when they talk about toxic masculinity. There's a lot of 
bad behavior that comes out of men when we suppress our emotions. Um, you know, all I think so much of, of what a negative behavior that can come from any human comes from suppressing, repressing our emotions, not just men. Men are just expected to do it. And it's a societal expectation. Um, I think as humans evolve, I think it's something that we will and must move beyond. Um, and it doesn't mean that we're, we're saying that men should become the you know opposite of, of that goal of fortitude either. It just means we have to acknowledge that we're all human. We all have spiritual, emotional drivers in all of our brains. It's what makes us human. And uh, when we deny that fact, negative, you know, essentially illness arrives from that. Whether it's societal illness, it's personal illness, it's physical illness, illness arises from that. That's true. That's true. I'm reading this book right now. This is a good one. <laughs> it is. Uh, That's the big book. That's probably like a Harry Potter book. That's a big book. <laughs> uh, it is The Myth of Normal by uh, Gabor Mate. Um, I'm really into it, but I, 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 I think, yes, that is the ultimate truth, regardless of whether we want to acknowledge or not. There are just ultimate human truths. Yeah as biological creatures definitely is um my last question for you right that can you tell us like i guess a lot of people know it already but you're coming out story how was that for you and before you share i just want to say people that's listening you know that's in you know the lgbtq plus community you know not everybody has like a good or bad coming out story everybody coming out story is different mine's was a little rough you know i said I didn't hear people knew then it just spread like wildfire so I just want Danny to share his coming out story you know and just because if it's good or bad you know not everybody has the same story yes no doubt sure I'm happy to share that and I've yeah. I've shared a lot about it over the years um you know and yes I think it's important to always remember there is no standard normal coming out experience and it's generally complex in one way or another for everyone um and it's not, you know, generally, I think a linear experience with a start and an end like many like to imagine either. I think yeah. many, I, in my own personal story, it's an ongoing lifelong experience. But, you know, again, growing up where I grew up, being gay was not even a concept to me. Like, media at, at the time when I grew up just didn't generally uh, dwell on anything LGBT, period. Yeah period. It was taboo. It was a topic that just generally wasn't touched, or if it was occasionally, it was almost always in some negative light. And, you know, it was essentially viewed as an illness and something that was not allowed and not okay. And being out meant facing possible violence. And generally, you know, as, as I like when I did my show, I was coming out of university, it also meant like your work opportunities would be limited too. So there was, you know, a, a lot to it, times were changing when I did come out, which was, by the way, in my university experience. Um, it wasn't, again, it wasn't even a, a, a potential concept to me that I could be yeah. growing up. It wasn't until I got to university and be, began to be exposed to other thoughts, other yeah. viewpoints, other existences, 
that it became a, a tangible actual concept to me as, as absurd as that may sound to people today because we live in the complete opposite of that now um but you know through my university years i had girlfriends and boyfriends and i would say i was pretty fluid uh, but did not identify myself as just purely gay until actually around the time I graduated, that was kind of a huge shift for me in my life. And I, I committed to living in some, in some truth moving forward in my life. And that was the moment where I decided, you know what, I don't think I'm being honest with myself here. And, uh, since I've always identified as, as homo, um, I, I am pretty certain of that. <laughs> I feel like I've had the, the life experience to be sure of that. Um, and, you know, it's been a journey coming, you know, I came out to the globe through television, which was a huge experience. I was not quite prepared for the weight of that at the time. This was 1999 and 2000. Um, at the time, a huge part of my story was that I was dating someone in the military. Yeah. So not only was I coming out mostly through this television experience, I was only out to my like tiny clo close group of friends uh, and my family right as I was cast on the show. So, you know, I was 21, 22 at this time. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, you know, it's still, still pretty taboo at this, at this time. And um, ultimately, you know, what ended up happening in my story was that because of my, the fact my, my, partner at the time was in the military and he became part of my storyline in the show um as an example of how taboo it was gays were not allowed in the military at this time this was in the day of don't ask don't tell meaning you live in the closet and you can do whatever you want we just don't want to know and if we do know then you're going to be removed from the military and punished yeah. uh, but he was also he was actually a captain in an elite army unit too so it was it was very risky for him as thinking back i'm just like wow we were young and insane because that was super risky um but you know that was an that was an interesting fact in itself he remained in the military for a couple of years and we were still together after the show so you know society didn't change because i shared this story so i kind of you know we lived underground for two or three years there um yeah. and it was intense and it was not healthy whatsoever and I talk a lot, a lot about this uh, in the in the homecoming season um, that you can now watch on Amazon. Surprisingly, Amazon, I want we want our cash. Cough it up. <laughs> Sadly, we don't get a dollar. <laughs> Listen, um, yeah, <laughs> they definitely, definitely got to pay y'all. <laughs> um, before we get to my next question, I want to say anybody out there that's dealing with any thoughts of suicide or any suicide ideation, there is a suicide prevention crisis lifeline number that you can dial. The number is 988, guys. Easy to remember, 988. If you are dealing with any deep, dark depression or suicidal thoughts, or you know someone is, please dial that number. And I want to ask you a question. I want to, you know, answer it first. But, you know, we talked about this, but I want to know if you ever in your life, you know, had any thoughts of suicide or the suicide ideation? Um, I'll answer first, um, guys, you know, on my podcast, I'm always open and honest. I like to answer this question first so my guests can feel open to, um, you know, share their experience. I was sexually abused by two of my male cousins as a child, you know, didn't really deal with it till I got, you know, 26, 25. Um, 
three years ago, lost my mom to liver cancer. Then nine months later, lost my sister. So, you know, all that trauma, all that stuff that's going on, you know, I always had thoughts of suicide as a child. I remember running. It was crazy. Like, like a couple months ago, I realized, I remember that, you know, as a child, I got hit by a car as a child. But I remember, like, I think I tried to, you know, kill myself. I ran in the street. I was playing with my friend playing tag. I didn't have to run in the street, but I ran in the street and the car hit my leg. And, you know, I had plenty of attempts, you know, and plenty of thoughts of not being here. Plenty of times sitting at the bridge, you just want to jump off. And I just want to say, guys, if you're listening, you know, I know it sounds cliche, but there is hope at the end of the tunnel, you know. Um, there is help out there. There are a lot of free resources out there. You know, I facilitate some free support groups for NAMI, Bucks County, PA. Um, NAMI is dope, you know, it's not intended to replace therapy. You know, therapy is a must, make sure you get into therapy, but it's dope to be in a support group with people that understand mental health. Cause you gotta remember, not everybody's gonna understand mental health issues. You know, it's people that's not gonna understand, it's people that's gonna understand it. So when I'm in these support groups or leading these support groups, it's so dope to have people support each other. So, you know, if you out there are struggling, please, please, please get help. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate. I think our world today is um, full of traumatized people, tra generational trauma, people, and, you know, like we touched on earlier, our society, especially with men, does not encourage men to take care of our our mental health, does not en encourage us to, uh, you know, acknowledge or access our emotions, which is a deficiency. Um, and, you know, many end up without the tools to acknowledge it, much less do the right things to take care of yourself. Um, so, you know, it's one of the reasons I, I, I wanted to do this with you, because I think it is so important to talk about. I think so many men particularly just stay out there and fall into a black hole of hopelessness. Yeah. You know, and the further into that hole you fall, the harder it gets to get to get yourself out the steps you need to take to get out, um, you know, and, and in my, you know, I've had some dark days in my life, particularly growing up where I did, where I felt a lot of hopelessness because there was such a huge part of myself that I, though I was not um, conscious of it at the time, but I was burying, I was burying a huge part of myself to fit yeah. in for safety where I grew up, like so many of us. Um, that's horrible for, for young people. Um, and that's just, that's what I, that's what happened, but I wasn't even, you know, again, not even, I didn't have the tools to access or acknowledge it, much less do anything about it. So I fell into a state of hopelessness and depression yeah. in my late teen years. I never actively uh, wanted or tried to commit suicide, but I had, I've had plenty of moments in, the, in this life and dark moments where I was, you know, giving up, gave up would be very, you know, it's a passive suicide citation yeah. where you just, you're okay if life ends then, it feels okay. Um, because everything feels like such a burden. That's the piece that so many don't understand is that it comes from such a place of, of hopelessness where you don't see any way forward and you, your, your, your mind has given up. It's a self-abandonment. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I now think about it like, a rolling stone and moss. Um, when you get to those dark places, you got to get that stone moving. It's little practical things. Um, a lot of it has to do with taking, getting our bodies moving, 
keeping the juices flowing, just basic things. The more that you allow your the, the stone to settle, yeah. the moss starts to grow and then it gets harder and harder to get out of that dark place. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, I think there's an epidemic of loneliness today too, where people just don't have, you know, we're again, huge part of being human is we are all very social creatures and we are designed to be interconnected in communities and have someone in our life to lean on um, when, when times are, are dark. Um, some have those. Many of us today don't have those networks whatsoever. Um, we are isolated in little islands through technology. We all think we're interconnected and communicating, but we're not. And I think that's where a lot of the trouble begins and can begin is when you're you're isolated and you're lonely and you fall into your the own trap of our own mind. You know, especially trauma. We ha we have we all end up through trauma with many maladaptive behaviors and thought processes that at one point protected us and were good for us. But when we become trapped in those places through trauma, then you become caught in this dark loop of self-destruction. And that's why it's so important to have outside support and communication through friends and family, support groups. I mean, there's endless contacts, but I just think it's so important to be communicating with someone, especially in moments of dark crisis. And, um, you know, I, I just think the opposite so easily happens. Yeah. <laughs> As we all know, but, you know, those, mal those maladaptive habits that many of us aren't even aware of because we're not accessing parts of ourselves through trauma, that, you know, if you're not accessing those places and you're not even aware they exist, you're caught in that doom loop and you know ironically that's when we tend to cut ties in communication with a lot of people um it's very easy to do that because the the effort and lift becomes enormous and so many of us today are are in our own battles that it's it's hard to take on yeah. others needs but it's so important to lift each other up especially the people we care about because um the world is very challenging today and no one should forget that even for the best of us it's a very complicated time we live in <laughs> it definitely is that's why i agree with everything you said <laughs> the best part i definitely agree and if anybody out there please if you're struggling with any dose of suicide um please there is a suicide prevention crisis line 988 guys please dial that number if you need get into therapy support groups like i said you know there's plenty of resources out there um, there's lots of free support groups out there that's one thing that i don't you know some people may shy away from because it it is a it, it is a commitment to sharing and being vulnerable that a lot of people are uncomfortable with yeah um but there is something very healing and supportive and even even sitting with strangers and sharing your stories so that you understand yes. you're so not alone. And these are free groups. Find them online. They tend to meet in community centers and churches and basements on random nights of the week. And there's a support groups for everything out there. And it's free. Therapy is the rich. Therapy is important and 
wonderful if you can get an access to it, but it is uh, it is the the rich person's uh, route to to betterness. It's it, our our culture so does not support the idea of of addressing mental health uh, that you know generally most people don't have access to mental health support through through paid counseling and mentoring. Um, but there's so many support groups out there. I like to remind people of that. Yes, me too. This is my brother, guys. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, so my next question for you, right? You know, we all know you were on the River New Orleans, right? And then, you know, you were on the Challenge. Um, I forget was that. It battle, huh? Battle of the season. Yeah, you're a champion. You won, right? You yes. Won. Uh, my, my, my teammate and roommate, prior roommate, Kelly, she and I won, and it was pretty amazing. It was an amazing yeah. experience. It was many years ago. I think it was about 20 years ago. <laughs> 2002. <laughs> and the irony you got to know about this is that Kelly and I are not, we are not, you know, athletic, uh, uh, competitive people whatsoever. We were the total underdogs and completely accidentally won. <laughs> you are a winner, my brother. Our spirits, our spirits won it for us. That's this. A win is a win. <laughs> a win is a win. <laughs> but um, then you did, you know, the homecoming season, right? Mentally, how were you prepared? You know, you was on three, TV three times, right? Mentally, after doing, you know, your season of New Orleans and then the challenge, what made you, how was you mentally prepared to come back and do the homecoming? Great question. Uh, you know, and it touches a bit on going back to sort of laying some groundwork from the earlier experience. So, you know, I, that the first season of the real world I did, again, 99, 2000. And then I think the challenge was, you know, probably a year later when yeah. the challenge, when we did that, it, you know, uh, my original show was actually still actively airing on rotation on MTV. Oh, wow. If you remember back in the day, they would just run it for a, a solid year over and over and over again, stayed on rotation and it, and it went global and, you know, millions of people watched it over that year. As time wore on and the immediate experience of the television uh, events in those early days wore out and I carried on with my normal life, that's when the challenges that I touched on earlier, you know, the world had not changed. I was with my long-term partner. We were together for eight years and he was in the yeah. middle for the first two, three years. We were living underground and, you know, it was a, a pretty dark experience for both of us ultimately um you know we lived in a lot of fear for those years uh it was very much illegal what you know the military would have loved to have made uh, an example of someone like that at the time and you know it was just a harbinger of the broader culture which was extremely homophobic at that time extremely yeah. homophobic it's easy to forget it now because things have changed so drastically over the years yeah Having a lot to do, ironically, with with shows like this, the role was in hugely important from those early days in actually showing the world what uh, we as a people actually are and represent and how we live and how we grow up beyond all of the negative stereotyping. It was the first time people's eyes were open. So, you know, this show particularly had a lot to do with that, not meaning just my my particular season, but every season in the show almost always had a representative from the community of, of, of varying back backstories and backgrounds 
um, sharing these stories and it was huge in, in helping drive change in society. But um, anyhow, I got a little bit off topic there. It's okay, it's okay. Um, so, you know, those two or three years with my ex living underground like that were pretty damaging to both of us. You know, yeah. we both came out on the other side pretty paranoid, traumatized, um, just not in a healthy state of mind. And it took me years to unravel what, you know, essentially where I was at that point was TPTSD, which I talked a lot. Yeah my my recent uh experience in homecoming and um you know it took me many years to unravel it because it took me one years to recognize that again to access the fact that i had a lot of maladaptive coping mechanisms in my life and then understanding that they were there and what they were tied to and ultimately identifying it all and learning the tools to move beyond it all. i mean it took it's taken a better of 20 years um, to get to that place. Um, and by the way, there's not a lot of people in the world that, uh, you know, at least back in that time that you could relate to who've had an experience like this, where you have become so vulnerable to expose yourself to the globe with your personal story. Um, it becomes a very strange existence. Uh, yeah. you know, you're, and when you're young and you sign up for this, you are, you have zero awareness of yourself, much less like how this, is all going to play out, especially when you represent a huge issue. What we, you know, and what my storyline became uh, very tied to nationally and politically was Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And it became yeah. a huge part of, you know, so my story became much bigger than me, and I, I did not have the coping tools for any of this. Um, so, you know, I came on the other side pretty broken and when they reached out to us to, you know, and by the way, they've reached out to me many times over the years to do other shows and I've been, you know, and my, had a hard stance of hell no. Um, what shows? Don't ever want to go back and do any of it. Then when they reached out to us on Homecoming, there was, I, one had gotten to a completely healthy new place in my life with yeah. the journey. Um, so have the tools to to process it all and yeah. and then there you know the homecoming is a bit different it's not it's not what reality tv was back then where yeah. you know we essentially just walk into a box and get filmed for six months and we have no say in how any of that is edited or the storylines that we're interested in sharing it is just life this one you know the homecoming is filmed over three or four weeks so it's very compressed it's essentially you know us working with them as yeah. sort of co-creators and here are the stories in my life that i'm willing to share here are my boundaries so there was a yeah. sense of control this time um and let's be real this time it paid <laughs> so all of those factors came in Back in the day, we really didn't get paid for that first experience, though MTV yeah. made bazillions of dollars off of it. Um, we got basically nothing. So this time was, we called it our reparations. Um, and it was still nowhere near, when you think about the real profit made off these shows. Um, however, I have a, you know, a, a six-year-old daughter that I'm thinking about in the future, and I'm, this yeah. time was like almost a no-brainer, almost. Yeah, uh, this is her college fund for the future. And uh, but, you know, there were a lot of conversations and back and forth with production and negotiations. It was this time was not naively walking in 
ground, um, you know, and particularly two other castmates of mine from this, Melissa and Kelly, like three of us spent a lot of time talking through the pros and cons, weighing, you know, what the risk, this is a very different stage in time in life, social media and technology are part of all of this. It's all immediate. The show stream, this is all entirely different from what it was back yeah. then. Back in the day, we were people were still writing <laughs> handwritten letters to I us. know. Those were the early days of AOL. <laughs> uh, when I saw the season, the season came out in 1993, I was like three years old. <laughs> Probably three or two. <laughs> so, um, but ultimately, uh, to put a cap on that, you know, this experience was going into it with a, a measured degree of, of control and safety, relationships with production, so it felt safe and honest yeah. and open. It was a very open dialogue through the whole experience. Um, and, you know, actually just trusting in them as people, as humans to do the right thing yeah. and share the right stories. Um, now, one of us, if you watch it, didn't get the memo. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. However, for me, and I think for most of us, this was such an amazing healing experience from that first round because it was an acknowledgement yeah. of what we experienced, how it impacted our lives in huge ways beyond anything that we could comprehend at the time um, or even explain. Um, and, you know, healing and, and moving on beyond beyond a very insane event in our lives that made huge positive impacts for a lot of people. So yeah. particularly, uh, I think people who are now somewhere between the ages of, of 30 to say 55, there's a lot of people in there, especially uh, uh, people of certain certain groups who's, who are often represented in, the, in that show, The Real World, um, who, who took a lot of positive away from it. You know, representation and seeing yourself matters enormously. And this, these are the early origins of, of that concept because before this, before real world, there really was no reality. There was no reality TV. So everything was scripted. Everything was highly controlled. Any taboo uh, representation uh, or, you know, racial representation, et cetera, was very limited to non-existent. Um, ironically, I grew up watching uh, mostly TV shows that were are, were truly geared towards a black audience, but I didn't really get that at the time. <laughs> so like, I was pretty disappointed when I got to college and it wasn't very much like it's a different world. <laughs> you just didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. Um... I want to ask you something real quick. Like the shows that you say you said no, no, hell no to. What were the shows? Oh, there's been multiple challenges I've been asked to do. There were a couple of concepts they were interested in. It was just all very absolutely not. I would, you know, there was a long stretch of time where I regretted having done the show originally and would have never put myself back into the same place again. Um, have have you not called for all stars at all? All of that stuff. <laughs> I'm talking about, about like All-Star, the recent, like the newest. I've told, them, I've told them what the amount that I would do it for, and there's no way they'd ever pay me that. So, so, the, so the new, <laughs> Put it that way. So you said the new All-Star season, they called you for? Yes. Oh, no wow. way. I, I, I love some of those people. I don't know most of them, to be honest, especially on the challenges today. That's an entirely yeah. different beast of 
hyper competitive, you know, today's concept of reality TV stars, which is not, yeah. I, I, I don't relate to it at all. Um, I want to I say something before we go to the next question, right? Um, so I never watched your first season, right? Um, I'm definitely gonna watch it. It's definitely on Paramount Plus for free. Anybody wanna go watch it? It's on Paramount Plus. Um, but I can say that um, when I watch Homecoming, it's crazy that I watch Homecoming and I did not watch um, the season at all. And I was like, you know what? I need to watch something. I miss the real world. Let me just watch this and stuff like that. So I was watching it. Um, like even like with Tammy and um, her season, I didn't watch that season in the beginning. But I watched the homecoming. So, you know, I seeing you on TV, right? I was like, damn, you know, 85. <laughs> but I'm like, you got so much good energy. So I don't I don't know how you was in your first season, right? When you first got on TV, but your energy is fucking dope. Like your aura, your energy, positive energy. It seemed like you've been through a lot and you just change, you know, over the years and years. And it seemed like you're like you're fucking dope, <laughs> you know, like. It's well, like I, I appreciate it. Um, I, like, it seems like real good coming for TV. Like, you know, I don't know. Like, I got to watch it for a season first. But <laughs> it's, your energy is dope and stuff. Like, the way you stand up for yourself, you know, you know, the way you just, like, it's just like, so that's like, damn, he's like a cool person to hang out with. Like, he seemed like a dope person, you know, a good father, you know. You like your energy, you know? I definitely, again, I'm definitely going to watch his first season. <laughs> I'm definitely going to start tomorrow. I'm going to watch tomorrow. I need to see... Danny was four. <laughs> the young Danny is, you know, what's funny is a lot of my, a lot of people who, who have now seen the, the recent homecoming, you know, I, I heard from some people who never actually saw the original. Yeah. Um, younger people. Um, and, you know, ultimately, they're, they're, when you go back and watch, you're like, yeah, it's absolutely the same person. It's just, you know, okay. I'm younger and much more naive back then. Yeah. Ignorance, you know, and ignorant bliss, maybe when I was younger. <laughs> In many ways. <laughs> As we all are. Yes. The beauty of being young and clueless. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to let you know your energy was like, I was like, he's like a positive person. Like, cool. That's what made me want to gravitate and get you on the podcast. You know, I was like, I need to come on here because, like, he just, like, you, you, I think, I feel like you were very, very open and stuff like that, talking about stuff. And I was and like, hyper you know, open, hyper open, maybe like, to a fault sometimes. Uh, and this is dope. And that's crazy that I can feel that through the TV, like the TV screen, you know, not the other person not watching their first season, you can just feel somebody's energy. I'm just like, damn, like he seemed like a dope person. I, I, I like to think that I am the opposite of, of how men typically operate in our culture. But, you know, I wasn't always that way. When I was younger, I, I just like any other male in our society, I, kept most of it packed in tightly out of, you know, yeah. of just self-protection um, so tightly that I forgot what was packed in that suitcase. And all right, so one of my favorite songs of all time is Erica Badu's Bag Lady. Never heard it. Uh, from, from the very first listen, I got it. It's, you know, you got to put the baggage down at some point and unload it and dig through it. Um, because if you don't, you're going to be pissed off and your back's going to be hurting and your baggage is going to become other people's problem. Damn, that's good. You got to send me that song. Okay? Send me that, <laughs> oh, my that. gosh. All right. I am not this. <laughs> you got it. Um, All right. I'm going to make myself a note. 
Okay. My next question for you, right? What are some coping skills that you could recommend to someone that is struggling with their mental health? And guys that guys and girls that's listening, you know, um, his coping skills, my coping skills may be different, but whatever works for you works for you. We just want to put out some coping skills that may help you. This is a, a very broad, challenging question because, you know, the truth is, is that the truth is, is that majority of us at one time or another are struggling with mental health. It's spiritual yes. health. We're spiritual beings. It's part of being human. Um, you know, and we're all living very different lives with different stressors and different senses of reality and um, all of these different factors. And mental health challenges arise for many different reasons. For some of us, it's, you know, the more challenging ones are the ones that are actually biologically driven. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something I cannot speak to. Um, but what I can speak to is mental health challenges that arise from, you know, spiritual deficiency, um, disconnection, particularly disconnection from ourselves, you know, and it's trauma oriented for most, most of us, most likely, if not a large majority of us, it is trauma driven, trauma oriented. A huge, you know, this is a journey and we'll talk yeah. about some immediate coping mechanisms in a bit. But we got to be careful with coping mechanisms too, so they don't become our crutches. Yeah. Now, ultimately, this is about a journey, and it's about it's a journey of self awareness, being aware of, you know, and it's a challenge for all of us as humans because it it is. It means being having, reflection on yourself, or being coming aware of your pat our patterns, our behaviors, our reactions, our triggers and connecting the dots to where this all, how this all intertwines. Um, most of us end up highly dysregulated, AKA challenges with mental health, yeah. um, because we are not recognizing these things. We lack self-awareness, hence we lack the tools and the coping mechanisms to re-regulate ourselves and even more importantly, move on beyond those coping mechanisms to genuine healing and centeredness and peace again. Um, you know, we live in a highly, highly, highly complex, stressful world today, and it feels more stressful every day. If you've been around for the past, past couple of years, I think you probably can agree. Yeah, definitely <laughs> all of us. Um, and the world's only going to become much more complex and stressful. So it's, you know, one of the, the most important things for all of us to do today is to recognize these facts and figure out how to re-regulate re ourselves um and again it's a long journey but some of my you know immediate coping mechanisms that are go-to's for me on a daily basis um again i touched on this earlier that moving rock thing when you're yeah. feeling you know really heavy really dark i always just you know often planted on the sofa with the phone in your hand, doom scrolling and reading crap. You probably just don't need to be reading at that moment. These yeah. are trends with all sorts of comparisons and just negative things your brain doesn't need. It's input, it's stimulus. Your brain doesn't have the energy for that. Put that damn phone down. And I, <laughs> I imagine myself literally as a stone. I've got to get the stone rolling. Even if it's just a few inches at first, get yourself moving. Staying active and moving is so important. Um, you know, whatever you're doing, whether it's simple things like cleaning, 
or your work or taking care of others, you know, you need a solid five hours plus in a day to keep yourself moving so you feel productive and that feeling of productivity is so important to keep yourself feeling forward thinking, forward moving and positive, you know, so these are like some very basic survival mechanism tools. Ultimately, the long term goal is to get get out of a survival mindset. Yeah, and that's where this becomes a long journey. Maybe we'll do another, uh, we'll do another episode of these one days where we can talk about some, some of the later pieces. Um, I think, uh, you know, some other things for me is part of being that that stone that keeps moving is taking care of our physical health. Yeah, what happens is and what I actually realized on myself uh, and fairly recently was that what we often do when we start taking care of our mental health is a lot of the dysregulation and trauma just moves into our bodies. Um, this, you know, taking care of your spirit and your mind, that's 50% of the bigger picture. The other part is you've got to take care of your body. If it's just simple walking every day, running, whatever it is, whatever is your thing, you've got to find something and you've got to have that every day because it's meditation time too. It is yes. setting a rhythm in your body and it is literally 50% of taking care of your mind. I'm not saying you need to you need to get out there and work our asses off for fitness. It is literally just for if nothing else as simple as taking a 30 minute walk every day. Damn, that's so dope. That's so get true. yourself out of your mind. The spiraling that goes on in our minds. Got to quiet that down. Damn, that's so true. Um, damn, that's so true. I like I love I love the answers. Um, and my last question for you, right? before we wrap it up is what can you say to someone that's struggling mentally why is it important why it's so important to put your mental health first you know a lot of us think we need to put others first but why is it important that we put our mental health first that's a good point in fact many of us who are struggling with mental health uh challenges and trauma uh are oftentimes ultimately one of our coping mechanisms like we talked about earlier this is why it's important to recognize our coping mechanisms and make sure they're not crutches because one of the worst ones is we become people pleasers yes we start taking care of others because that feels like a better sense of control and an easier sense of control if you're helping someone else and not taking care of yourself to me this one's so easy though and it just comes from parenting um you know a lot of my mental health journey has been knowing that I need and want to be the best version of myself so I can raise a healthy child. And I don't want to fuck my child up with a lot of the same baggage <laughs> that so many other of our, our parents have uh, on to us, you know, that generational trauma is breaking the generational trauma too. Um, but, you know, it is the simple uh, concept of you've got to put your own gas mask on first or we're all going down. That's good. Sorry, that was good. <laughs> and if you're walking around with loads of un, untethered trauma and mental health problems, that is a poison that seeps out into others around you too. And it is bringing, you know, you may think you're doing the best you could, you can out there taking care of others, but in the end of the day, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're probably uh, 
helping some someone else be a, a ha, you're their crutch. <laughs> wow. Because people pleasers are often being used by someone else who who sees the people pleasing. Um, yeah. So you're, you know, and you're poisoning your own environment. Don't pee in your own pool. Don't poop in your own kitchen. Take care <laughs> of yourself first. I also have this like I, a belief that I have is when we are taking care of ourselves, and I don't mean this in what I believe today has become a bit of a narcissistic trait. Uh, trait. Yeah. You know, the idea of self-care. I'm not talking about laying around and pampering ourselves and not thinking about others. In fact, like a huge part of being health, healthy, a healthy human is being very connected and thinking of others, um, but in a, in a healthy way, in a positive way. Um, but, you know, so not not to not to confuse things here but when i when i talk about taking care of ourselves first it is about getting ourselves to the healthiest to a healthy place mentally physically healthy so that we can be our best selves and we glow when you're when people are their best selves and they have agency in their life they have found their groove they glow we're drawn to these people and that is instead of poisoning our environments, we that we are bringing that to people around us, which lifts others up around us. You know, again, that's the end of the long journey we're talking about, and it's and it's ongoing and it's a lifelong journey that all of us humans should be on. But you know, to me, that's what it's ultimately about. But taking care of yourself first does not mean isolating and going into your own world because we often those of us who are struggling with mental health and trauma again that's what we tend to do is self-isolate because everything is exhausting that's the piece i understand is when you are really in that dark hole every little thing now this is something that i think healthy people struggle understanding is everything feels so heavy and burdensome you know even just getting yourself some food is exhausting when you're in that dark place. So it's, you know, you got to break these things down into tiny manageable bite-sized pieces too. That's another important daily reminder for people is small bites at a time and don't beat yourself up. If it feels like you're stuck and you're not moving, just tiny bits at a time. Um, one other thing I want to share with you, by the way, and this is something I just recently learned, but I think to me is like this brilliant aha moment is is getting into the rhythm of keeping yourself healthy part of it is a rhythm yeah. um and it's the simple concept of the morning is for you know first off it actually begins making sure you, we get enough rest i think our mental health crisis today begins with the fact that most of us are chronically underrested and ex we're exhausted yeah. Um, that means getting solid sleep every night so your brain can heal, so your body can heal. When we don't get enough sleep, it drives inflammation. And inflammation actually pow ends up powering a lot of mental health biologically. Yes, mental health problems, not mental health, mental health problems. Inflammation is a horrible thing for us people. So the sleep is where it all begins, waking up rested. And yeah reducing inflammation in our bodies that sets the stage for a healthy mental mind if you wake up exhausted and you have inflammation driving in your head that stage already has turds on it so it's hard to get positive mental health going 
in that yeah. brain. And then the morning is for output, you know, task, chores, output at work, email, exercise, writing, all of the things that you need to get done, that you want to perform well at, that you want to put your best mind into. And the evenings are for rest, consumption, input, whether that's reading, television, games, whatever that yeah. is. Mornings output, evenings input, and develop that rhythm with rest. Like that's the foundation we all as humans need. Hey. It's sometimes that's so dope. easier said than done. I struggle with that one like all of us too, because there's just Me never too. enough hours in the day. But yeah. if there's nothing else, like if you're having a really dark moment and struggle, make sure you're getting healthy rest. And on the flip side, when we do get in dark places, a lot of what we like to do is sleep all day. And that's, again, you keep that stone rolling because when we sleep all day, we don't sleep at night when we should. That is true. But <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, Danny Roberts, thank you for being a guest. We definitely want to have a part two, guys. Danny, we got to have a part two. I do think it's we should more, have part two because we yeah, just more, started the journey. Yes, there's more stuff we can get into. It could be like a free-for-all episode where we just talk about mental health stuff. There's more stuff that we can get into. But um, I want to say thank you, my brother. Um, I think, like I said, I think you're a dope person. I thank you for saying yes. This was like a dope mental health talk. Like you saw me, stuff that you were saying, I was like, damn, like, this is blowing my mind. This is like so good and stuff like that. And I thank you for saying yes. You know, I know I was asking a lot, but thank you for finally coming around. It is my yes. pleasure. I am honored to be here. Um, I, you know, I appreciate you having me on to share. Yes. Uh, having, being able to hear these little tidbits, these, these little tricks are, are so important to get yeah. to, to, to both survive and move to a healthier place. I wish this was more common back in the day. Yeah. Um, but the, the more that, People are helped, the better. Yes. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Danny Roberts, thank you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Peace. Thank you.